Greetings. Welcome to Sick Book. Um, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad to have you back here with me. And I'm really, really excited for today's episode. So, if you have not heard or if you're unaware, I decided to start this little series on this podcast in which we're going to be spending the next few weeks talking about some of my queer favorite um, films TV shows, characters, moments, stuff like that. And I'm really excited. I worked really hard on this. Um, I've been playing this for a while. I just needed to do some more research until I felt comfortable enough to um, share this with you. But here we are. I'm really excited. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what you can expect from the series going forward. This is just the introduction episode um, into everything because we're going to be doing things a little bit differently, you know, but before we get into the actual content of this episode, um, I'm going to continue on with the regular segment, but that's where it's going to differ a little bit with this little series. So what I've decided to do is instead of give you like current history or current facts or things going on in the industry right now for this series we're going to be doing like queer film history facts and tidbits you know so with this being our first episode of the series I thought that we should cover some of our queer history first so the first first we're going to be talking about is our first um, alleged queer film. So our first film that could be coded as queer, essentially. It is a film that came out in 1895 called the Dickerson Experimental Sound Film. It is by William Kennedy Dickerson, and it's not necessarily like a film as we know of today. Um, It was at the very beginning of film or cinema history where they're literally just shooting stuff for the invention aspect, I guess you could say. So it's not really supposed to like entertain anybody. It's more so about um, learning about film and how to capture motion pictures. So like I said, it wasn't anything that interesting, but the main premise of the film necessarily is um, there's three men in the shot. One is playing like I think he's playing like the violin or something. So he's playing some sort of instrument and there are two men dancing to the music. And at the time, you know, it wasn't necessarily seen as queer or gay. Um, It's often referred to in like academic journals and stuff like that as the gay brothers, but gay at that time didn't have the same connotations as it does today. So it was more so about two men um who are just acting fancy you know but it has kind of been coded as queer because it is two men dancing it's two men sharing an intimate moment that I guess now or really in any other context you could see as queer you know what I'm saying so that is the first like ever alleged queer film The first suspected queer film, (laughs) so the first film that focused in on actual, like, queer characters or was intended to be seen as queer characters um, is 
1920 film different from the others. It is by Richard Oswald, and it is about two men that um, get to know each other, form an intimate relationship, but ultimately are kind of broken up because they are blackmailed by someone that finds out that they're gay, if that makes sense. So at the time, being gay was obviously frowned upon, but I think it was also a actual crime. And so they had to keep their relationships under wraps. And when it was discovered by someone that they were together and that they both were gay, they blackmailed them. So it is one of the first um, films centered around gay characters, but I think it also adds to the kind of the trope that often happens in a lot of queer films where they are, um, their relationship is doomed, you know, the doomed queer relationship. So that is the first suspected gay film, the first uh, film that clearly depicts and shows gay characters. And our first gay kiss actually happened a few years later in the 1920 film Manslaughter by Cecile B. DeMille. I'm looking at my notes <laughs> to try and remember all this. So I forget which kind of kiss this was. I think it might have been like the first like gay kiss like between two men. Um, but I think what shortly followed after that was a kiss shared between two women. Um, but this was the first gay kiss that happened. And then I wanted to briefly talk about the Hayes Code era because it kind of relates to our last first. The Hayes Code era happened between 1934 to 1968. And that essentially was a lot of the restrictions that were put on like Hollywood at the time um, to kind of self-censor the industry. It actually kind of was a reaction to a lot of the films that came out in the 1920s and early 1930s before this happened um, due to like the war and the depression era. A lot of films used shocking imagery at the time to kind of lure audiences into the film theaters. So gay characters were showcase and a lot of queer characters were showcased um during that time but it was more so to shock the audience and to make people want to go see this film because you know it is so it is so shocking you know so there were a lot of depictions of queer characters at the time but again it wasn't necessarily for the purpose of having good representation obviously it was more so to shock and awe audiences and the Hayes Code actually came kind of as a reaction to that because people started to question um, the negative effects that these shocking imagery would have on audiences. So they put that in there and it was a bunch of other stuff. You know, the Hayes Code wasn't just directly to um, discriminate or to censor queer characters. There were a lot of stuff relating to race relations um, nudity, sex, stuff like that, but it did heavily affect the way that queer characters were showcased or the way that they were also represented and coded in film during that time and especially after. So the Hayes Code ended in 1968 and it actually kind of ended, um, around the time or because of the Stonewall riots. It was very closely, 
um, in that time period. And because of the Stonewall riots and the ending of the Hays Code, we have our first film that was created um, specifically to cater to the gay community. So that was a film in 1970 called The Boys in the Band by William Friedkin, I think it's pronounced. And like I said, it was the first film created to cater to the um, gay queer community. It came after the Stonewall riots and those riots actually kind of made Hollywood see that the queer community was a present community, but also a viable community, you know, to get their money. So they created this film as the first film to cater directly towards them since they found out that they were a viable community that they could profit off of. Um, but it also happened around the time, but also helped to understand sexuality and sexual liberation. So that happened again in 1970 called The Boys in the Band. Um, and that's all I have for this segment for our little queer film history facts slash tidbits or whatever. Um, those are some of our first gay films. I've only seen different from the others, which I don't know where you would be able to find that to watch it. Um, I think it, I don't know. I don't want to say anything. I feel like it might have been on like canopy or something, but I absolutely have no idea to be honest with you. Um, but if you get your hands on any of these, I think that that would be very interesting to watch, but to also know that those are some of the first, the groundbreaking revolutionary films that, um, had an impact on the queer film history, you know? So again, that's all I have for you. And uh, we're going to make our way to the content of this episode. So I didn't really have that much planned for this episode. I really just wanted this to be a place where I kind of break down what you can expect for these next few weeks. Um, and to also touch on some things that I felt like I needed to touch upon that I didn't want to speak about in the other episodes, if that makes sense. Um, the first thing that I want to quickly, briefly talk about is something that I have forgot to mention in like the past two episodes, but I've kind of decided to push the release dates of these episodes to Thursday. Um, I usually, I, I said, I guess at the beginning that it was going to happen every Wednesday. I don't know why, but in quarantine, Wednesday feels like Monday. And in return, the week feels so much shorter than it actually is. So, like, I feel like Wednesday is always creeping up on me. And I usually get these episodes out on Thursday. Anyways, so I feel like I might as well extend the release date to Thursdays so that, you know, I'm actually coming out with the episodes on time, you know? So, yes, I've forgotten to mention that because if I don't put it on my little iPad, notepad. I completely forget about it. But yes, um, episodes are going to come out on Thursdays now, hopefully. So that's just a little disclaimer um, about this series. So this series, I guess to formally describe it, um, it, I thought about doing it 
in celebration of Pride Month, but I came up with the idea like literally two or three days before Pride Month actually happened. So this is a late celebration of Pride Month, but also kind of like a personal dedication to the queer community and queer film and queer film history because I really enjoy watching um, queer films and I think that it's important that we watch queer films and that we study them and get to know them as it relates not only to the overarching film history, but also with kind of understanding, advocating and bringing more awareness to the queer community. So I wanted to do this podcast series um, kind of in dedication of the queer community and the way that I have it set up is I wanted to focus on one community every single week and kind of talk about some of my favorite, most memorable, most important um, queer media characters, moments and stuff like that, which every episode. So like I said, this is the introductory episode, so we're not going to be talking about really any movies right now. But next episode, we're going to start with, you know, our lesbian media. We're going to talk about different movies, TV shows, characters, moments um, that I really like that are either created by, about, centering, or could be coded as like lesbian media. Um, I did want to at first only focus on like things that I felt like were good representation because I feel like so often we talk about bad representation when it comes to the queer community but I think with with any sort of media that focuses on minorities you know so like with any sort of film that focuses on black characters or you know black media the same applies there as it would apply with queer media in which all representation I feel like is important to talk about even you know under all contexts so even bad representation or no representation at some times can be important to talk about because those are still defining moments in history you know what I'm saying so like with the first alleged queer film it might not have been explicitly a queer film, but I think it still adds a lot to queer film history that it is, it was coded as queer, you know? So I feel like talking about different types, even the good and the bad is important. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about bad representation because again, I feel like it is so easy to talk about bad representation when it comes to queer films, but I am going to highlight some that I feel like are particularly important to discuss, if that makes any sense. So yeah, um, like I said with the entertainment news, like this episode, I've decided that instead of trying to give you random entertainment news that is going on currently, I feel like it is much better to use what's going on in the industry as a good moment to highlight some queer film history facts because again I feel like 
these aren't things that you usually learn about. Um, again, when it comes to film history or history in general, um, but also when it comes to queer film history, because, you know, I've learned some, some facts in my day, but there were still some things that I didn't even know regarding some of the first that I thought were particularly interesting. So I feel like that might add, you know, some more interest also to the episodes as well, so that we're both learning something new when it comes to queer film history. So that's all I have for the breakdown of this series. It is going to be six weeks long um, with this included. So for the next six weeks, we'll be covering it. So, you know, get prepared. Um, I'm not going to have any sort of watch list, even though I will be discussing various films every single week. Um, I'm really, I really want to talk about um, the overall, the overall, but also how much I feel like they offered to the overarching scheme of like representation and history when it comes to the queer community, if that makes sense again. So yeah, um, I also wanted to kind of briefly talk about maybe like my personal history when it comes to consuming queer media in this episode. One, because I am narcissistic and I feel the need to make everything about me, but I feel like it would also be interesting to talk about just a little bit of how I got here. Um, like I said, I really love watching queer media. I feel like it's really important. It's something that like not not necessarily something that I force myself to do, but something that I like to actively consume, you know? And so it's something that I I like I've just become aware of it in the same way that I've become aware of like watching, consuming, but also recognizing media that includes like black characters and black women and girls and stuff like that. So when I see something that, you know, has a black girl in it or is centered around a black girl or a black woman my interest is obviously peaked and the same goes with like queer stuff so I really enjoy watching I'm really I would say I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it. I would like learning about um queer film history because I feel like it is so important and some of the biggest trailblazers are queer filmmakers actors cinematographers, editors, stuff like that. So I think it's super important when you're discussing film and when you're discussing history in general to look at some of the pioneers of queer film, you know? So I also think that not necessarily that my history with queer media is necessarily unique or interesting, but I do like to look back at like the first things I watched that were queer. Um, and I guess the first things that I can remember watching are like the MTV dating shows. <laughs> so, you know, back when I was a wee young lad, I have always had a, had a knack for dating shows, I guess, you know, I always have a love for dating shows when it comes to reality TV, I guess. So, Back in the day, I would watch all of the early 2000s like MTV dating shows. And I don't think that they get enough credit when it comes to 
queer representation in that regard. Um, like I know a lot of people hailed them for their queer season of Are You The One, which I also love so much. But, you know, when you start to think about it, you're like, but that wasn't their first time, you know, doing a show that included or centered around queer characters. So like I used to love watching um, Parental Control and they would have a lot of like gay or bi characters on that. And that was always fun to watch. Just really the show aspect, but you know, watching that as well, it definitely fed into, I guess, my influence. Um, and then also I really liked watching Next that also included, I don't know if they included a lot of bi characters. I just know that they included a lot of gay characters, a lot of gay and lesbian characters um, or people because they're not characters, they're people because this is a real show, you know? So I used to love watching that. And I think um, one of the most iconic, truly, TV shows was the, the Tila Tequila dating show. Um, and that was, it was like The Bachelor, but if half of the contestants were men and half of the contestants were women, and The Bachelor or The Bachelorette at this time was Tila Tequila, and she was a bisexual woman, you know? And it's like, especially for the Tila Tequila dating show, I feel like with the history that media or queer media has with kind of like the underrepresentation of bisexual people and characters that is especially um important or especially iconic because it's like back in the early 2000s this was something that they showed and this was something that you know was on and represented I guess um and I guess like my my upbringing really helped me to watch those shows or to consume queer media in a very non-judgmental or confrontational way, I would say personally. Um, I, like my parents are religious, but most of my childhood wasn't very religious, I guess. Like it was very secular in a sense. Um, and I had very little parental control on what I watched. So there was a lot of things that I were watching that I probably should not have been watching at my age. Um, but my parents, you know, they didn't really stop me. So I watched it anyways. And those shows might've been some of it, not even necessarily for the fact that they included gay characters, but dating shows with adults in it, especially on MTV are usually very sexual. So maybe in that regard, um, I probably shouldn't have been watching it, but I watched them anyways. And again, I, the way that I grew up wasn't, I, I really didn't have any conflicting beliefs pushed onto me, I guess you could say. So I was never really taught to be homophobic. Um, so a lot of the times when I was watching it, I was watching it from a very non-biased 
mindset. And so I'm literally just watching it like I would watch heteronormative people on any dating show. And I think, again, it honestly really influenced me as a person, but also the way that I saw, interacted, treated, and eventually advocated for the queer community because, you know, there was... I never had to go through that period where I am questioning, well, why is this bad? Or why is, why do I think this is bad? You know, like there was no unlearning of any biases or hate. Um, and I think that like, I, I'm, I'm so proud of that and so happy that that was not something that I had to go through and that was not something that was ever part of my character um and I think again in that aspect it made it so much easier for me to learn like when I had to formally learn um about you know what does it mean to be trans what does it mean to be non-binary what does it mean to like what does it mean when sex and gender identity are not the same thing and stuff like that. Um, I, again, I never had to, I never had to start from ground zero and be like, okay, gay people are human beings and <laughs> they're, they should be treated with as much respect as, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, which again, I'm so thankful for. So those are really like, I would like to say those are kind of the monumental first of mine when it comes to consuming queer media. And, you know, regardless of how they probably play out today, um, I think that they were still a really good thing. And I think that, again, it goes to show the importance of representation. And that leads me to the next talking point of this episode. Wow. The segues. The segues. The segues are on point today. Well, only in this aspect. But so another talking point that I wanted to discuss in this episode is the importance of queer media. Because, again, I think that in this regard, it is it is crucial to talk about what all forms or what these different forms of presenting queer characters means um, in our society, but also in the overarching queer film history and in the over overarching film history in general, um, what it like, why we need to keep pushing, advocating and supporting queer media, you know, the first, which is obvious is representation. It is so important. Um, I cannot stress that enough. You know, a lot of people will be like, what is the point of showcasing this? What is the point of showcasing that? And it's like, one, I think of like children. And I think that it is extremely important to in order to create a more accepting, more fluid, and more supportive space for queer people in general, but for everybody um, that kids are learning 
you know, I guess like I did in the same way where they are consuming queer media that it it's just they're they're seeing it in such a regular way. You know, I feel like it's important that kids see that in everyday life because it shapes so much of who we are as human beings later on in life, but it also helps a lot of queer children understand themselves and understand the world around them. You know, a lot of people like to make the argument that, you know, children, they don't know themselves um, at whatever age as children. You know, they don't really know what they want. They don't really know who they are. Um, A lot of them, they'll say that they want to be this or they want to do that. But in five, 10 years time, they've completely shifted their entire view and mindset. And that is very well true. But when it comes to queer children, like there's nothing wrong with showing them people that they identify with. You know, if there is a child that they, they can already feel in themselves that they are trans, there's nothing wrong with showing them trans characters on film because even if they they I don't know even when they become 15 16 they're like oh you know I really thought that I was trans but maybe I'm not or maybe I'm not in the way that I thought I was as a child you know maybe instead of necessarily being trans I guess in the way that we know of it today maybe I'm more so non-binary agender stuff like that um but it's like it's still so important to show them that those forms of media or those forms of representation so that they can understand themselves better they can understand and articulate their feelings and how they choose to identify themselves even at that young age because it still will inevitably be who they are as a person as they grow up if that makes sense you know but even if they're not queer, you know, it was, I think that it was so important to me to consume those types of queer media, you know, regardless of the implications of the representation, you know, like if you were to tell me that the Tila Tequila show was not good by representation, I'd be like, maybe you're right. But as a child, it wasn't even necessarily whether it was good or bad. It was the fact that I was seeing, you know, real bi people on my TV screen, you know, and I was getting acquainted and I was gaining familiarity and association with um, real bisexual people so that it wasn't an issue when I got older. It wasn't something I had to grapple with or try to understand. It was something that I always kind of knew to be true myself. And I feel like the same, the same, the same should be afforded to every child, you know? But I think also representation is important for not just children, but also for adults. And again, the same way. If you have an adult that is questioning their sexuality or questioning their gender identity, and up until this point, they have never seen anybody like them or anybody portray their 
their feelings um, in the media, it's going, it's going to be so much harder for them to understand, but to find themselves in that way, you know? And I feel like if they're able to see a character and I identify with that character, then they can be like, oh, that character is saying and portraying and feeling all the same feelings that I feel on a daily basis regarding their sexuality or gender identity. I think that might be me, you know? I think that what they're experiencing is what I've been experiencing this entire time, but never knew how to articulate it or, but never knew what to call it, what to identify it as. And that is equally as important as well, you know? Also in that aspect, it is, you know, immensely important, but again, to, to learn and to become familiar with um, queer people in general, it is important because a lot of what people know and learn about a lot of queer people, especially when it comes to trans, non-binary, or just gender non-conforming um, people, a lot of that learning happens from the media and happens from seeing them on screen, you know? I saw something where it's like, you know, 90% of the American um, population knows somebody personally that is gay, lesbian, or bi, but like, I forget what it was. I don't really know the exact number, but it was like maybe 10 to 20 only know um, trans people personally, you know? And so it's like that, that other 90% it is so important that they are consuming representation, especially good representation of trans or gender non-conforming individuals, because that is the main way that they learn and become accepting and familiar with um, trans people, but also concepts relating to gender identity and stuff like that. So I think that it is immensely important in that regard um, especially, but also when it comes to education, like I said, a lot of people, especially a lot of young people, um, and kids, that is not something that they are taught about, or that is not something that they see a lot of in their everyday lives that they can learn from, you know, in the same way that a lot that sex education in America is vastly um, or almost entirely cis and heteronormative and stuff like that. And so a lot of queer kids, they don't even know how to have intimate relationships because they were never learned, you know, well, in this regard, you should do this. And in that regard, you should do that. Or of just even understanding themselves and what goes on in their personal lives with their own bodies and their own minds and self-esteem and stuff like that. And so queer media also does a lot of educating. It also does a lot of um, showing people that, hey, this is important and this is important. And that's why, you know, in this um, aspect, you should be doing or saying this. 
it, it could be like educating somebody on the importance of respecting someone's pronouns and the importance of, you know, correcting yourself and correcting others because, you know, cis people, I don't like, they don't understand the importance of pronouns because it's like, well, you know, I look how I identify and people are going, people have always addressed me as such. And so it's like, if they're seeing trans or non-binary, agender, or just, you know, anybody that uses non-cis pronouns, they they see that on screen and they can learn from that the importance of, okay, well, if this trans woman tells me that her pronouns are she, her, I need to respect it, but this is also why, you know? If this person says that their pronouns are they, them, I know that I need to respect it, but now I also know why. Now I also know not only why I need to respect it, but the the sheer importance of respecting their gender identity through the use of using the correct pronouns and, you know, stuff like that. So education is vastly important in that regard as well. And it also teaches people about all of the different um, gender identities, sexual orientations, and just ways of presenting oneself, you know, because it doesn't even have to be necessarily that somebody identifies as like non-binary or as a trans man or a trans woman, um, that you kind of know that they exist, um, or that you know that there is a wide variety of gender, I guess, I don't know, gender identifying or presenting people, you know, like, I guess in the way that I see it is the queer community and everybody, like everybody in the queer community is so different from each other. And so it is easy to say that like a gay man looks like this, you know, a gay person looks like this, um, a lesbian person looks like this, a trans person looks like this, a trans woman looks like this, a trans man looks like this, you know, it's, it's very easy to to try and simplify um, people and concepts. But the more that you are presenting a variety of people and concepts in a way that honestly sometimes cannot be, you know, so concretely described, it, it makes people understand and learn that, you know, my idea of a trans woman is not always, you know, a passing woman with long hair, um, obvious boobs, you know, has the shape of, or has the figure of a female, um, and stuff like that. And so it's like the more that they are presented with a variety of queer characters and queer media, the more that they are learning that 
the queer community is so vast and is so unique and different in and of itself and that every community within the overarching queer community within the overarching LGBTQ plus community is so vast and unique and varying, you know? And I feel like, again, it just goes to, it goes to lead to such a more understanding and safe place for everybody everybody to exist in not just the queer community but everybody to exist in because of course once you once you liberate (laughs) the most oppressed everybody is liberated so like I said in the same way that representation is vastly important education is vastly important um and I guess lastly not lastly because there's an infinite list on why having queer media and continuing to having queer media showcase is important. But I guess one of my main biggest points would definitely be awareness and advocacy. So in the same, in the same, they all kind of go together, but in the same breath of like, is important to see representation of queer characters Um, to understand, you know, various members of the queer community, but it's also important to learn more about it. It is also a great way to raise awareness on various issues that are happening within the queer community or are happening to the queer community. Um, You know, because again, queer history is not being taught most times. It is not being taught in a lot of the basic educational ways. There are a lot of things that happen in history that are sparked, inspired, or include queer people that you have to take a specialized course in, you know? You just, it's just not, queer history is just rarely ever covered. Um, And a lot of films that talk about queer characters or focus on queer events, um, that's people's first learning of it, you know? And it's bringing awareness that, oh my gosh, like this was an actual thing. I didn't know about it, you know? Oh my gosh, I didn't know that the Stonewall riots were something that actually happened. I didn't know that that was a, a an event that happened in history. And so it's like me watching a film about it or me watching a documentary that talks about it or even me watching a conversation in a movie that references it now I know that this is something that happened now I know that this is something that existed you know and it also does a really good job to raise awareness on current issues it's not just things that happened in the past it can be like people do not know that um, gay conversion therapy is going on today. Maybe people assume that that was just something of the past. Maybe they know that it happened, but they did not know that it is something that is happening today. You know, films that talk about it or films that address it and they talk about it now, then people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this was still happening. You know, and that is going to influence, again, the way that they see the world, but also the way that they alter 
they're um, advocating because now they know that this is something that happens. This is something that's still going on. And I feel a personal obligation to stop it. So now my, my advocacy has broadened to include combating gay conversion therapy, if that makes sense, you know? And so I just feel like it is a great way to inform people on things that have happened that have been erased through a lot of our learning of history. Um, but it also does a great job to talk about what's going on right now, you know, and it creates, especially now, um, a call to action. It can tell you that, like I said, this is happening, this is going on right now. And now people are starting to learn about it. They're starting to become more aware that this is happening. And so now people are starting to fight that specific issue. Whereas maybe before we weren't getting any support on this particular issue. It was like, you know, it was just happening and people were just being affected by it and being oppressed by it. And now people are joining together to fight this issue. So yeah, it's, it's so important to talk about queer media. Like I said, even the good and the bad, because they all influence the way that we see, interact, perceive, but also the way that we create um, queer characters today in film. You know, a lot of character tropes or a lot of stereotypes are formed from bad representation in film and in television and stuff like that. And so it is important to it is important to talk about those things because, again, they are inevitably a part of our history in general. But it is, it is also important to talk about the good representation and to continue to bring forth, I guess, um, representation of queer characters because there's a lot that needs to get fixed. There's a lot of um, redesigning, reshaping the way that people, again think, talk about, talk to, interact with queer characters because of the media. And it does influence a lot of people's beliefs and personal opinions. So to continue to put those um, narratives out there, especially positive, you know, it is obviously going to have a positive effect. <laughs> so that's all that I really wanted to talk about today. Um, I felt like it's important to kind of give a precursor to this series. And I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I am going to. And maybe that you learn something from it as I have as well. Um, you know, this isn't just me trying to talk at you or to talk over anybody, but me trying to use my platform to highlight something that I really do love and I'm really passionate about um, and would love to see more people talk about and embrace, I guess, on a daily basis. And yeah, I'm just really excited to get this series started. Um, and I would really love to know if anybody has any, you know, if you have any 
comments, questions, suggestions, or concerns related to this series, definitely let me know because I want to do right by this series in, in, in doing it. Um, and I want to make sure that I cover a good enough grounds, but that I also consistently emphasize why all of this is needed, if that makes sense, you know? But yeah, um, like I said, our next episode will be covering lesbian media. I'm really excited about that. I really love some lesbian media. <laughs> I really love some lesbian films. Um, and I have some interesting ones that I will be excited to talk about. But with that being said, this is uh, that's all I got for you for this episode. So I hope you are doing well. I hope you have a great week. And I can't wait to see you next week. So, peace out, Girl Scout.